eternal soul is an amazing thing. It's a mysterious thing, really. It is as real as all of the external things that we can see, feel, touch, and experience with our senses, and yet the soul is invisible. How it exists is a mystery. But the scripture teaches your soul is like the soil of a garden. Your soul has the ability to receive seed and produce a harvest out of your soul into your life. So your soul is like soil. Things grow out of it. And like soil, your soul doesn't produce anything by itself. A seed has to be planted first. All the ground will do will give you a harvest of what was planted. So be careful who and what you allow to plant in your soil, in your soul, in your soil. The laws of seed time and harvest govern the visible world of agriculture. Every tree that's growing now is the result of a seed that was planted, true of every flower, true of every plant. But the laws of seed time and harvest also govern the invisible world of the soul and of the spirit. Seed, both natural and spiritual, was designed by God to reproduce after its own kind. That's why you can never plant an acorn and get an apple tree. It's why you never see two cows mate and produce a goat. Because the system God created works. It has always worked. It will always work. Seed is created to reproduce after its own kind. Galatians 6 and 7 says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a person sows, that will they also reap. So since your soul is like soil, then your life is just a series of seed time and harvest. You are simply living out now the reaping of what's been sown into your soil. Your adulthood today is a harvest on the seeds that were planted in your childhood. Your level of maturity is simply the harvest of seeds that were planted when you were younger. Your self-esteem, your confidence. You didn't just get it. You didn't just arrive in the earth with it. Somebody put that in there. If you have faith in God this morning, you didn't just arrive to it all by yourself. Somebody planted that faith in you. If you know how to pray, you didn't just get enlightened one day. Somebody sowed that into you. Tell somebody, I got some good seed in me. I mean, everything may not be right. Everything may not be perfect, but you got some good seed in you. Anything good you can do, you didn't get it by yourself. It was sown into you. Good seed. And that's how our text in Matthew 13 starts. Another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed into his field. In this particular parable, the quality of the soil isn't even mentioned. Jesus simply focuses on the quality of the seed. 
In the parable before this, you may remember Jesus teaches about four different types of ground, four different types of soil, and what will be produced out of them. In this parable, he doesn't even mention soil. He says good seed, because there are some seeds that are so good, they'll work even in bad soil. God has a few seeds that are so powerful. They don't need the right environment. They don't need the sun. They don't need to be watered properly. They don't need all the nutrients that other things need. You just put it anywhere and it'll spring up. That's what the Bible says about Jesus, that he was a root springing up out of dry, hostile ground. Not everybody in here had a perfect environment to grow in. Not everybody's childhood or background or home setting was conducive for your growth and development. But if God ever puts a good seed down on the inside of you, it doesn't matter the environment around you, doesn't matter the quality of the dirt or the minerals or the nutrients around you, doesn't matter your exposure to the sunlight. If you didn't get what other people got, if you got robbed of certain things, if you had to grow in the middle of a struggle, you still prospered because there was good seed from God. God down on the inside. He sowed good seed down into his field. Verse 25, but while all of his workers were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and then went his way. Here we see the timing and the strategy of Satan. He waited until the field of the man had been plowed and prepared. You know, because you can't just go sow a seed and drop a seed. The field has to be prepared. It's a lot of work to prepare the field. So the men had worked and prepared the field and then spent all day sowing the seed it was a job well done. They went in to get some rest, and while they were sleeping, the coward enemy comes in and sows the tares in the same spaces of the ground where the wheat was sown. Then they went away in silence. Good and bad were in the same soil, and nobody knew it until the harvest started coming up. The enemy waited until the ground had opened up to receive the good seed, and then he slipped in and he planted the evil seed in the same spot, in the same field, in the same soil. Now, if you study the scripture, you will find that this has been Satan's strategy since the beginning. The first birth that happened in the earth was a twin birth. We read about it, Cain and Abel. Adam sowed good seed into Eve's field, and a harvest came. One of them was wheat, Abel bent towards the things of God, bent towards wanting to know God and follow God's instructions, bent towards righteousness. One of them was tares, Cain, bent towards rage, murder, and anger, and all types of evil things. And the thing about Cain and Abel is they were both growing out of the same field. Abraham had two sons. One of them was wheat, Isaac the son of the promise. One of them was tares, Ishmael, 
And we see with Cain and Abel, and we see with Ishmael and Isaac, that it's the job of the tear to persecute and hurt the wheat. Cain killed Abel. The Bible says Ishmael mocked and bullied Isaac. And then Isaac's wife, Rebecca, got pregnant with twins. They didn't have an OBGYN back then, and she felt something strange going on inside her, and it began to frighten her, so she went to God, and God spoke to her, and he said, there are two nations in your belly warring with each other. And he said, the elder shall serve the younger. One of the babies was wheat, Jacob. The other was a tear, Esau. And they were both growing out of the same ground. So the enemy watches when God plants something in your life. The enemy watches when your spirit and soul open to receive a word from the Lord. The enemy watches your prophecy and the things God has spoken that will come to pass over your life. And then he comes in in the midnight hours when your mind and your spirit are asleep. And he makes sure to carefully plant a tear right next to your wheat. So as you're giving birth to the miracle over here you're also giving birth to the misery over here and you walk around in your life and notice the paradox that you're the same field is producing both blessing and cursing both happiness and misery both sorrow and joy in the same field you got the wheat and and the tares verse 26 but when the grain had sprouted up and produced a crop, the tares also appeared. They didn't even know the enemy had done this until they went out to, to reap their harvest. Months had gone by. And we see in the text what so many of us see in our lives, good and bad, growing up together out of the same soil out of the same ground. I can't deny the wheat is there, but neither can I deny that the tear is there. They're growing up together. Have you ever had to live with a harvest of contradictions? How can things be going so good and yet so bad at the same time? How can I say hallelujah at five o'clock and Lord have mercy at seven o'clock? How can I be smiling and feeling the spirit at one moment and depressed and weeping the next moment? How is it possible that I can be living in the midst of this kind of conflict when God has been so good I feel like praising him, but the devil's been so bad I feel like just laying in the floor. How is it possible to have the same God gave you your marriage and your marriage is a gift from God, be careful because the enemy sowed a tear somewhere in there. If God gave you your job and you know God blessed you with that job and you didn't even qualify for that job and God gave it to you anyway and you're so thankful and you're praising his name, be careful. If it came from God, the enemy sowed a tear somewhere in there. If your children are a gift from God, you couldn't have children, but somehow God blessed you to be able to have children, and you're thanking God every day. Be careful, because there's a tear somewhere in there, because the enemy watches and studies the movements of God and his people, and he makes sure with every miracle to plant some misery close enough to it to where you can never totally 
joy in and relish in the miracle that God worked because of the misery that's planted right beside it. And it's amazing because the miracle does not cancel out the misery. And yet the misery does not cancel out the miracle. So you find yourself walking around like a blithering fool with two contradicting emotions in you all at the same time. It's the life that we live with the wheat and the tares. Verse 27, so the servants of the owner came and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? This is the strategy of the enemy. There's three prongs to the strategy. The first is. He sowed the evil so close to the good to cause you to question whether the good was good or not. I'm going to say that again for this side. He sowed the bad times so close to the good times to cause you to question whether the good was really good or not. Now they're questioning the authenticity of the seed. Sir, didn't you sow good seed? Was it good seed? Did you get a discount on that seed? Did you buy that seed from the flea market? Where'd you get that seed? I thought you said the seed was good. How could the results be this bad if the seed was that good? And the enemy will come up to you. Especially as you walk by faith as a Christian. And he'll point out all the contradictions in your life. All the weaknesses in your life. And he'll say, is there really good seed growing in you? Did you really get a word from God? Did you really accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Because if it's supposed to be that good, what's going on with all of these tears in your life? Thought God told you to marry that man. Thought God told you to marry that woman. Thought God put you together. You prayed, you believed, and, and you thought it was God that was doing. What's going on with all those tears in your life? And the strategy is to make you question and doubt the seed. Thinking, if I had a better seed. If I had a better husband, a better wife, if I lived in a better city, if I was in another church or a different environment, maybe the problem is with the seed. No, it's not the seed. The seed was good. Jesus answers in verse 28. He said, no, he said, an enemy has done this. He answers the question, why do bad things happen to faithful, good people? How can you be faithful to God and come to church and pray and give 
and do all of the things that the scripture teaches you to do and still receive bad results in your life. There's another mass shooting, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And I just hate it because on the, on the, I hate it for many reasons, but on the news, you know, everybody gets on and starts talking about where was God and blaming God and how could God allow this and God this and God that. And I want to scream at the TV, God didn't have nothing to do with that. An enemy has done this. When you see chaos or when you see tragedy or when you see natural disasters and everybody's wondering, where did this come? Was it God? An enemy has done this. And when you look at the mess in your life and the disruption in your life and the pain in your life, why is it that we are so quick to shake our fist at heaven and be angry with God? God didn't do it. An enemy has done this. He said, an enemy has done this. He planted misery right beside your miracles so that when the miracle started to grow, so did the misery. It's a timed attack so that when you finally see the harvest that you worked so hard for, right next to it are the tares. And every time you see the wheat, it brings a smile to your face. And every time you see the tears, it brings a tear to your eye. Verse 28, an enemy has done this. And the servant said to him, well, do you want us to go and, and gather them up? You know, you want us to go uh, get our gloves on and get in, the, get in the field and pull the weeds out? In verse 29, he said, no. Because while you gather up the tares, you're also going to uproot the wheat with it. This is the second prong of Satan's strategy. It's brilliant, you know. He sowed the tear so close to the wheat that in order to pull out the tear, you'd have to destroy the wheat. In other words, he took something that you hate and put it so close to something that you love that in order to kill what you hate, you'd have to kill. Have you ever had the kind of complicated problem that you can't fix it? Because if you tried to fix it, you'd make it worse. This is what Satan did to God in the garden. Satan couldn't fight God in the garden. Satan couldn't handle God. So what he did was he started to study. What does God love? Adam and Eve. So Satan strategized and he said, how can I get something God hates? Sin into something God loves them. And he sowed the tares so close to their wheat. The tares literally wrapped around Adam and Eve, thinking that in order to fix the problem, in order to deal with the sin, God would have to kill what he loved. And that's the same problem that the enemy has been attacking some of you with. 
It's not that God's not speaking. It's not that God's not moving. It's not that God is not good. It's not that God has not blessed you. But you may not be able to recognize just how blessed you are because of the presence of the tares that were sown by the enemy. The tares may have numbed your mind to the goodness of God, to the kindness and sweetness of his presence, to how hard you should follow after him and serve him. In fact, you would be far more motivated than you are if it wasn't for the presence of the tares. But that's what the tares do. They suck up the water. They suck up the nutrients. They suck up the energy. They suck up the motivation. There was a time when you would come to church and you would just with reckless abandon give God praise with all of your energy. Your tears would stream down your face. You would feel a burning on the inside of your spirit. But now you come in and it's almost like you're about to faint with exhaustion and weariness because of the trouble that you have been facing. It was a strategic timed attack. He hated the fact that you lifted your your hands every time you felt the presence of the Lord. He hated the fact that you would mutter to yourself in prayer to God all throughout the day. He hated the fact that you were so on fire for God. People in your workplace were wondering what was different about you. He hated the fact that you were getting so involved in your church. You were making a difference in the community. He hated the fact you were starting to make changes in your life and make positive habits. He hated the fact that you were truly starting to advance for the first time. So he came and sowed something in you. To where every time the presence of the Lord is moving through a service, you used to be the first one standing. Now it takes 50 people before you do. To where when the presence of God begins to move and draw people to give and to serve, now you're holding back like you never did before. And it's not that there's something wrong with the good seed. And it's not that there's something wrong with the good you. An enemy has done And I thought I would preach to you about it to maybe help you recognize it that no, no matter how bad things are, no matter how many tares are growing in your field, the good seed's still there. The wheat's still there. God's still done everything he promised he would do. God has blessed you. He's sustained you. He's ordered your steps. He's promoted you. He's favored you. He's elevated you. He's strengthened you. And no matter how many tares you got growing in the field, and no matter how exhausted you are from the cares of life, your God is still worthy of the glory. He's still worthy of a reckless praise. He's still worthy of you to seek after him with all of your heart and with abandonment because from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is still worthy to be praised. I wish I had some tear croppers who didn't mind looking over the misery and, and looking over the pain and looking over the frustration and looking over the sorrow and looking over the devastation and looking over the disappointments and say, I'm still going to give you the prayer. Still going to lift my hands. I'm still going to shout like I lost my mind. Still going to. But the servant said, should we just go fix it? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing when something's real bad. 
it gets real bad in a marriage or it gets real bad with the children or it gets real bad with the finances or it gets real bad with your health. The human instinct is, let's just go out there and pull out the bad. I mean, life would be great, wouldn't it, if it wasn't for all the bad? And Jesus said, no, you can't. Because if you do, you'd pull up the good. You'd mess up the good too. So he said, next verse, verse 30. Let both. Oh, it's prophetic. I feel it. Let both grow together. Let both grow together. You've been trying to strategize what you can do to put an end to the situation you're going through. And next week, you're about to put your hands on something and put your plan in action. And God sent me here to Christian World this morning to tell you, don't touch it. Let both grow together. Now, whoever that's for, you take it. Let both grow together. Let both grow together. It sounds like he's inviting me to a life of constant polarity. It sounds like he's inviting me to a life where the pain doesn't stop. Sure, the miracle doesn't stop, but the, the pain doesn't stop. All except for this one word, let both grow together. Oh, preach to yourself, Jason said. Let both grow together until. For every hurting person in the room, God sent me to tell you, there is an until, hallelujah, scheduled in your life. There is a date and a time where there will be a divine separation between the wheat and the tares. There is a day and a time where there will be a divine separation between the miracles God has given you and the misery the enemy has given you. There will be an until in your life. Let both grow together until. Until. Now, it doesn't sound like it, but there's a miracle in that statement. You'd have to be a man like Larry Moreno who knows a lot about gardens to understand it. But if you do a little study, you'll find, Pastor Tracy, that once the fruitful plant sprouts up out of the ground, out of the initial phase of the seed coming to fruition. Once it sprouts, if there's a weed next to it, tears, it won't grow any further. Why? It's what Cain did to Abel. It's what Ishmael did to Isaac. It's what Esau did to Jacob. It's the job of the tares 
to persecute, to choke out, to stifle the weed. The weeds suck it all up. But Jesus said, don't pull it out. Leave it there. And then just this hidden little prophecy in one word. Let them both grow. In other words, he prophesied growth to the wheat while it was surrounded by the tares. He prophesied the reversal of a natural phenomenon. He prophesied that the system wouldn't be fair this time and it wouldn't do what it was supposed to do. He prophesied that he would break the natural order and cause the wheat to grow around stuff that was trying to choke it. He would cause it to grow around stuff that was trying to destroy it and stifle it. He promised it would grow around stuff that was trying to make it not exist. And God sent me here to tell you leave the weeds in place but he's gonna let you grow in spite of it he's gonna let the love in your marriage grow in spite of the tears he's gonna let your relationship with your children grow in spite of the tears he's gonna let your finances grow in spite of the tears he's gonna let your favor and your opportunities grow in spite of the tears and I don't know about you I've seen it in my own life. I've seen God prosper me in places I should not have prospered. Maybe you've seen him do that for you. Maybe you've seen him bless you in places that you should not have been blessed. It's the blessing of the Lord in an environment that makes no sense. It's the favor of God without natural circumstances to explain it. It's God causing you to grow without an income to explain it. It's God causing you to be promoted without education to explain it. It's God causing you to explode without natural phenomena to explain it. He said you will grow anyway. Whoever I'm preaching to, God said, you're going to grow anyway. I know your heart is broken. I know your soul is bruised. I know your eyes cannot turn away from all of the many tears growing in your field. But God sent me with an announcement to your soul, to your soil. You're going to grow anyway. You're going to be prosperous anyway. Don't be depressed. Don't be downtrodden. You're going to grow anyway. If you receive it, lift up your hands. Open up your mouth and give God glory in the place. The God that makes us grow in impossible environments. You will grow. You will grow. The tears aren't going to choke you. The tears aren't going to starve you. The tears aren't going to destroy you. He said, I'm giving you my grace to survive the tears of life. I'm giving you my grace to survive the enemy's attacks. I didn't stop the enemy from attacking you. And I didn't stop him from sowing tears in your field. So I could show off how strong my grace is. Because my grace is going to sustain you even in the midst of the attack. Even in the midst of the betrayal. Even in the midst of losing your child. Even in the 
midst of the car getting repossessed. My grace is going to sustain you and you're still going to crawl. I said you're still going to crawl. So there you are, wondering how you're going to make it through another holiday season. Wondering how you're going to keep repeating the same old pain and misery year after year. There you are, wondering what's going to happen with tomorrow and next week and next month. And there God is saying, you're going to grow anyway. And your prayer has been... Your prayer has been God. I would do so much better. If you would just pull out these tears. I could be more faithful. I could give more to the kingdom. If you would just remove the tears. Because quite frankly, I don't know how much more I can take. The morning I wake up with tears in my eyes. I meet the sun's light with mourning in my soul. And it's not that I don't believe in you. And it's not that I don't love you. It's all of the tears. They're choking me. They're stifling me. They're hindering me. It's water all around me and I can't get none of it because it's going... To the tears. There's money all around me at my company. I can't get none of it because it's going to the tears. I don't have time to be a husband or wife or have a good relationship with my partner because our life is so full of tears. Yeah, we'd be in love again if it wasn't for all the. Somebody said, bring the, marriage, bring the romance back to your marriage. And you would if you had time. But you've been struggling with all. The... And I'd make it. I'd be stronger. If you just, if you just pull it. Or let me go. And he said, trust in me. Wait on me. And this time, let them both grow together. I will not allow your foot to be moved. I will not allow you to be choked out by the problems of your life. You said the weeds got all the water. I'll cause you to grow without it. You said they got all the opportunity. I'll cause you to grow without the favor of the people you think you need. 
You said they got the education. They got the leg up and like, I'll cause you to make more money than the people that have the best education. I'll do whatever I have to do to make sure you grow. You will grow. You will grow. Those terrors won't kill you. Those terrors won't destroy you. Those tears aren't going to take your house. Those tears aren't going to take your marriage. Those tears aren't going to take your relationship with your children. Those tears aren't going to take your business. I don't know who I'm talking to, but you will grow. But you can't scream as loud about that because in the back of your mind, you wonder, am I going to be dealing with this for the rest of my life? Will every harvest I receive be a mixture of wheat and tares? Will it always be like this? And the answer to that question is no. We see biblical proof of this reality in the first scripture that I read to you. Abel was a keeper of sheep. Cain was a tiller of the ground. Cain killed his brother Abel, hid his body, and said, am I my brother's keeper? And God said, Cain, the problem is you killed his body, but his blood has a voice. And his blood speaks on a frequency that I can hear and that the ground can hear. And Abel's blood is crying up to me from the ground. And God said, because you've done this, you're cursed. And part of your curse is the ground you used to plant in you will never be able to plant in again because the ground your brother's blood spilled into received it and Abel's blood has been speaking a curse. Abel's blood has been speaking to the ground saying ground wherever you are all over the world listen to me he is never able to plant again. So Cain, no matter what seeds you sow, the ground will abort them. No matter what you try to plant, the ground will abort them because Abel's blood is against your seed. Ladies and gentlemen, if the blood of Abel was so powerful that it caused the ground to never produce another seed for Cain ever again, then how much more shall the blood of Jesus? Ooh, I feel the glory of God. How much more shall the blood of Jesus? Ooh, I feel the presence of the Lord. How much more shall the blood of Jesus, once it gets in your ground, Oh, yeah, do you feel it? Once it gets in your soil, your soul, your soil, your soul, once it gets in you, it makes an announcement to the enemy and all of his seeds. Your mess won't work in my ground. Your traps won't work in my ground. Your generational curses won't work in my ground. You might have got my family members with cancer, but it won't work in my ground. You may have got my family members with poverty, but it won't work in my ground. You may have taken other family members out early, but it won't work in my ground. 
because the blood has a voice and the blood is against you the blood is against the curse the blood is against your violating way the blood is against and the blood of Jesus listen to me the blood of Jesus has scheduled an until in your life he scheduled an until over your head the blood of Jesus and that precious voice that it speaks has scheduled a date where that thing ends where the tares are removed bundled and thrown into the fire you know what I like about the fire Carl you know what I like about the fact that he said he said first gather together the tares roll them up and put them in the fire you know what happens to weeds when you burn it you never see them again oh I said you know what happens to weeds when you burn it you never they go up in smoke you never see them again and I want to tell some people something your soul needs to hear there are some things you're dealing with in your mind, in your emotions, in your body. Things having to do with depression. Things having to do with anxiety. Things having to do with health conditions. Things having to do with your children. Things having to do with your marriage. There are some tears in your life that are breaking your heart that you are never going to see again. Because the blood of Jesus has scheduled an until. God has scheduled a divine separation date. And when they are separated, they will be rolled together. They will be burned. And you will never see them again. I'm not saying there won't be any more problems. I'm saying there won't be those problems. I'm, say, I'm not saying there's not going to be any issues for the rest of your life. Just not those issues. Because those... He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bundle them together and I'm going to throw them in the fire. To everybody living in a protracted season of difficulty, to everybody living in a season of misery, for everybody living in a time that's so bad you're not sure if it's ever going to get good again. God sent me here to tell you that your until is coming. Does God know how much it hurts? Your until is coming. Does God know how desperately lonely until this coming. Does God know that it's been so long since I've had an unencumbered moment to check in with myself that I don't even know who I am anymore? You're until is coming. Does God know the best part of my day is when I take that sleeping pill and lose consciousness for a few hours. Does God know that I've thought about ending my life? Does God know that I don't have anybody but him to talk to? 
Does God know I haven't been hugged in over a year? Does God know how I crave for an intimacy that I can't find one person in my life to give me? Does God know that I feel so isolated that I can't remember the last time I felt good about myself? Does he know? Your until is coming. Until then, the grace to grow in hard places. The grace to grow when you're emotionally depleted. The grace to grow in your relationship, even though at the end of the day, you as a husband and you as a wife have nothing else to give to your spouse. Somehow, the grace to grow without the water to explain it. The grace to grow without the nutrients to back it up. The grace to grow when the weeds are all around trying to choke out your oxygen. The grace to grow in spite of it. So until your until comes, and it is coming, God wouldn't send me to preach this. You think I'm just preaching this? Have you lost your mind? God shook me and said, if you don't say these things to them, somebody's going to break and lose it. So I came to tell you, hold on. Until your until comes. Don't throw in the towel until your until comes. Don't quit on God until your until comes. And if you'll stand with nothing around you to explain it and lift your eyes up to the hills from where your help comes from and say, God, I don't know how to make it, but my eyes are on you. You'll begin to notice a strange phenomenon in the midst of all your problems and all your pain and all your depression and all your anxiety. Somehow you'll keep growing anyway. Oh, I feel that in my spirit. Grow anyway. I command you to grow anyway from the root system deep in your soul from the root system that fuels your heart from the root system where your emotions are planted I command you right now in the name of Jesus lift up your hands receive the strength of God receive the grace of God receive the refreshing of God and grow anyway up your hands all over this house and begin to open your mouth and worship him oh great father oh great mighty father we reach out to you this morning you're the only one who can save hey worship him until the depression leaves worship him until the chains break worship him until the heaviness lifts worship him 
if you need to. Come get in His presence if you need to. Come. blessing of the Lord over you today. I speak the encouragement and the strength of God. You can't exhaust His grace. No matter what you're facing, there's a grace for it. And He's going to shock you by how He enables you to grow in the midst of all those tears. <laughs> Thank you for your anointing. I feel it. Thank you for your anointing. Touch them with it, Lord. Let them feel it as they lift their hands. Let them feel the strength coming back into them. Let them feel the energy coming back into them. Let them feel the release and the renewal that comes when we are in the presence of the living God. We worship you, Father. We worship you. 